Hey guys. So I have to tell you that when Marissa Kemmel reached out and she sent in her application, I was floored and a little starstruck. Marissa has a huge following, like 11,000 to my 1,000. And she's just such a huge impact on our culture in regards to motherhood and, and beauty standards around women. And it's inspiring. And so not only was I taken back because of her, her influence, but I was also taken back because she is this just beautifully raw mother and woman. And I had fallen in love with her story prior to receiving her application. And so it was so, so exciting. And, you know, I just had it in my head that why would somebody, you know, with such a large impact and such a large following, so much bigger than me, want to be a part of the show. And I was so honored to have this conversation and be a front row seat to hear her story and be able to ask her questions on her perspective of motherhood. And what this has done for me is really remind me, and, and this is this is me telling you, because I know you can't see everything from my end. You can't see the applications flowing in. You can't see the statistics. But what, what I want to tell you is that magic is happening for Mama Inspired, and it's so, so exciting. And it's an appropriate time to thank every single one of you, every single one of you who are listening, who have written a review, who have shared it with a friend. You guys, you're celebrating not only the mission of this podcast, but you're helping me celebrate the women who have gotten vulnerable and out of their comfort zone and shared their often hard, but truly inspirational stories and in an effort to give you hope and inspire you and to educate you. So thank you so, so, so much. And if you haven't written a review or shared the podcast, I would really love to ask that you do that. And let me explain why. Leaving written reviews is really truly the best way that we grow the podcast. It helps us get ranked, it helps us get recognized, and it helps us get more eyes on the podcast itself so that other women who really need to hear this or maybe have somebody in their lives that need this will see it and share it or listen. So if you haven't done so, please pause right now and go do that. Yes, of course, it makes my heart so happy to be able to read these reviews, but it helps us grow and, and drive this mission. So thank you. Okay, I'm going to stop gabbing and let's hear from Marissa. Welcome back to the Mama Inspired Podcast. Whether you're struggling to become the mama you've always known you're meant to be, or you're holding that miracle in your arms, hear me now when I tell you that you are not alone and that on the other side of this hard, a brand new life awaits you. Hey lady, I'm Sarah Wayne Scott. I'm here to encourage a more enlightened, compassionate, and empowered mom collective. I believe that through guru guidance, stories from mamas just like you, and a whole lot of momspiration for me, we can begin to make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. So swap out the breast pad, wipe off the barf, it's mama time. I could not be any more honored to have Marissa Kimmel on the podcast today. I just actually was introduced to Marissa probably less than a month ago on Instagram and just immediately fell in love. Marissa is not only this incredibly talented photographer, you see this like in her business page, but you're 
pictures of you and your son and just, you are so beautiful. And so it's so much fun to see those come across my feet every single day. But I also view you as this storyteller in a lot of different senses. I know you mentioned last time when we chatted that you didn't really feel like you were a good writer or that was an outlet, but man, I've always been so impressed by your captions and how you tell your story. But outside of that, Marissa, she was diagnosed with alopecia at a young age and just recently had a double mastectomy and we'll get details on that. But I just view you as this incredibly inspiring woman and uh, mother and you do an, an insanely good job of somehow sharing the hard stuff and the good stuff. And it all comes across just in this, I don't know, beautiful way where we're able to kind of take it in and take the good from it, even if it's bad. And the honesty I think is just really inspiring. And it's awesome to see a woman, especially a mother who has struggled through so many things. And and still, of course, I know you're working on overcoming or, you know, it's a day-to-day thing, but it's a beautiful thing to be able to witness on the other side of it. So I'm really excited to hear your story and um, just honestly, I'm honored just to be chatting with you today. So welcome lady. Oh my, well, I already want to cry. So <laughs> no. thank you for, for having me be here and just letting me um, tell my story. That's, I feel honored. I really do. Well, that's precious to me. <laughs> So I'll try to fit lots of years of my life into to a little, a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm 27. And when I was nine, I was diagnosed with alopecia. My parents found a little bald spot, like the size of a quarter on my head, um, and right away they took me to the dermatologist. And so it wasn't a, a question of what it was. They, they knew right away that it was hair loss um, and that from what my doctor told me and my parents, it was due to stress and I was nine. Um, and so right away when I was nine, I felt like because of me, like something that I was doing in my life was causing this, this hair loss. And so that's how it began. That's where my story started was like this, this doctor, this professional telling me what you're doing isn't right. And if you don't fix it, you're going to lose all your hair. And that, and that's exactly how I took it. I don't, I'm sure she didn't mean it that way. Sure. Um, cause who would, but that's how I took it. Um, and so from there I started out with, um, with shampoos and creams to kind of apply to the spots and try to regrow my hair because I just wanted to look like everyone else of course. to blend in with my classmates. Um, and over the years that kind of worked, the bald spots would come and go, come and go. Like one would be on one spot and then the medicine would work. And then I'd find another bald spot on the other side of my head. So it was always like a constant, like, okay, when's the next one coming and what am I doing that's caught co- that's still causing this like and so I was stressing over stressing and I was still trying to be a kid um and so it was hard but uh, I'm trying to imagine as a nine-year-old I mean obviously a lot of family stuff can go into that we don't need to get into that but I mean it's just like it's incredible to think about a nine-year-old 
having enough stress to be able to cause that unless you're in like a traumatic situation, right? Like we had, we had normal family issues, but nothing, I, I don't know. So it was hard um, for the first couple of years of my diagnosis because I was just, I was just trying my best. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I think the summer of my eighth grade going into high school, um, around there, I started to do my own research on my alopecia. And I remember sitting at the desktop computer in my family's um, living room. And so we, I was looking on there, it was late at night. And I Googled like alopecia and the, the images that I saw, they were all very sad and depressing um, medical photos of, of people that just didn't look happy. And there they were like no hair or bald spots. I'm like, wow, that is, that's going to be my life. And um, when I was researching, I saw that no my alopecia in a different way that I was no longer blaming myself like I was for a couple of years. Um, and once I, I saw that there was no cure, because I didn't know that, I thought that the creams and the shampoos weren't working because I was doing something wrong. But at the end, they were, they're still, there's no cure to this. So it, it wasn't my fault like I thought um, that it was. Uh, so I decided to stop all treatments. Um, and by that time, I was getting hundreds of steroid shots in my head. Oh my like that's how far I wanted to take it because I thought that once I had my hair, I would feel like everyone else that I, I would then be able to be beautiful because that's like the complete opposite of what I felt. Yeah, um, at that age. I mean, that's like, I was growing into myself, like, yeah. Um, Can't imagine. I was learning all about uh, beauty standards and, you know, going to school with, with the other girls who wasn't, they weren't losing their hair. Yeah. Like I was. Um, so once I started high school, I, I stopped all, I stopped all treatments. Um, and from there, I, I wore hair extensions and used bobby pins and headbands just trying every morning before I went to school to cover my bald spots. So that once I got to school, it wasn't my main focus. And some days I wouldn't even go to school if I couldn't get my hair to lay right. If, um, yeah. If I looked in the mirror and I felt self-conscious, then I would go right back into my bed. I'm like, I'm not going to school, I can't do it. And there would be there would be mornings where I would get out of the shower and I would face my back to the mirror to blow dry my hair because when your hair is wet, it parts. Yeah. And it would just part on like every single bald spot that I had. And so for a while, like I couldn't even look at myself. It and it was always myself against me. Like when I would go to school, I went to a small Catholic private school with kids that I knew my entire life. Like they, they knew that I had alopecia and that I would get bald butts here and there. Yeah. And no one, no one ever bullied me for it. Um, 
that's and actually when I would go to school if one of my friends saw a bald spot they would fix it for oh, me. Like, I love it that I'm grateful for for them um to not put me through something even more but yeah honestly I was putting myself through it like I was my biggest bully um so through high school, I was spending hours in the morning getting ready and uh, missing out on my education and school events, uh, hanging out with my friends, because if my hair wasn't doing what I wanted it to, I wasn't leaving my house. Um, so that was kind of my, my alopecia journey up until I was 19 and I started dating my now husband, and um, he he was actually in barber school. And one day, I I just kept telling him like, okay, I, I want to cut it all off. Like, I want to be done. Like, I I tried everything. Nothing's working. Um, the only thing that I haven't tried so far is cutting it all off. Like, let let me just cut it all off. And. Uh, I went into his mom's bathroom by myself and put my hair in a ponytail and I cut it off and then he shaved my head. And that was, I remember looking in the mirror, like after I cut off my ponytail and it felt like I was like the biggest weight was lifted like off for of me because I was, my alopecia was controlling my entire life. And while they say like alopecia is only like uh, an appearance, um, like there's no other internal side effects going yeah, on or symptoms. Yeah, that it only affects your your appearance, but it's it doesn't only affect your appearance. That's what people see. But I was getting to the point where, like, by the time I was 19, I was so depressed. Like, I didn't want to live anymore. I was like, I cannot, like, I can't keep living my life the way that I am because I'm not going to make it. And so like the, that little bit of courage that I felt that day, like to just cut it all off. Like, I don't, I don't know where my life would be or if it would even be <laughs> if I didn't do that. Did you have this conversation with your parents before you did it? Or was it kind of like, <laughs> no, um, okay. they, they always knew my parents always knew, um, how much, like how much my alopecia was affecting me. Um, because when I wouldn't go to school, they'd be like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, we can't force you to go. Yeah. Um, so as parents, they're only trying their best. Yeah. Um, so there was there was one point my junior year of of high school where it was really bad. Like I wouldn't go to school, I wouldn't leave the house. And they asked me, like, okay, well, what do we how do we help? I was like, I want a wig. And we weren't financially like well off. Um, but they they ended up buying me one. And the first day I, I worked school, there, there was one boy who, who made a comment, um, not making fun of my alopecia, 
didn't even know that it was the first day that I wore my wig, but just said, like, he looked at me and he was like, why does your hair look so funny? And I went home and I cried and I never didn't wear my wig to school. Like after that, I was like, okay, that wasn't it. Yeah. Um, but my parents, they've always been supportive of uh, just trying to help me. And I was the first one in my family, like no one, no one in my entire family has alopecia, except my sister did get it a few years after me. So no we're, both, we both don't have any hair, What? which that's like, she doesn't share uh, her life online like I do, but me and my sister were the only ones um, in our entire family to have it. So I've, she's a couple years younger than me. And so we were going through different stages of yeah. life. So yeah. I still yeah. felt like I was alone, but I knew that I had someone in my same household. Like, wow. So I, I was never completely alone. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough, but I made it. I don't. Um, so after when I cut all my hair off, I knew that I wouldn't be able to continue to grow if I stayed in my small town. And so I looked into um, a college in Chicago. I've never been to Chicago. Don't know anyone there. Um, I was just, I was 19. I was like, I need, I need to go somewhere and yeah. I want to go somewhere like, like new and cool. Like, um, yeah. And so I planned out like, okay, I'm going to save this much money. I'm going to go to this school, go to school for this. Um, and then I got accepted to, to the college and I started to plan my move. And I brought it up to Drew, who was my boyfriend then. And he was like, well, I'll move with you. Like, I'm, I'll be finished with barber school. I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, and so that previous, that next year, when we were 20, we moved to Chicago, didn't know anyone, but <laughs> each other, um, had a couple thousand dollars to our name. And I had just, um, for that year, because I had just cut my hair, I wore a hat every day, like a, a beanie, um, because I was still processing, looking at my own self and I wasn't ready to show like the rest of the world, um, a huge part of me that had like just dragged me through life. So I, I wasn't ready yet, but we moved to Chicago and I was like, why? I don't, it was just so eye opening, like culture shock from yeah. a small town. Everyone looks the same. No one's different. Like there's, it's not okay to be different is how I felt like I grew up. Yeah. Um, and then moving to Chicago, I started, I started working at Urban Outfitters and I was wearing my, my beanie every day. Still pretty sure I, I wore it like the whole first week. And one of my coworkers, he, he like asked me why I wore a hat every day. And so I, I decided to, to tell him. So I, I went into the fitting room and I kind of just opened my hat a little bit to show him. And he was like, we don't care here. Like you can be whoever, whoever you are. Like you don't have to hide. 
Um, and he just told me that he's like, the next time you work, he's like, maybe try not to wear it. He's like, we're here. It's like, we'll, we'll stick up for you. Like, and so I did. Um, the next, the next time I worked, I didn't wear my hat. And that was the last time that I covered. Um, so my friends that I made like in Chicago, um, I just feel lucky. Yeah. To go, go to a place where there is so much diversity and, you know, there's definitely parts of Chicago where there's like this kind of eclectic slash just accepting culture of, of all of the different, like, I can only imagine how that felt. And I just love this guy, whoever this guy is. I love this guy so much. His name's Zamir. Um, but yeah, they just like, just reminded me that I was beautiful and like empowered me. And just, that was like the beginning of me embracing like who I was because the people that were surrounding me were so supportive. And so I know even, even when I was questioning my own self, they were there to remind me that like, like you do not have to be, feel shame like in any way, like we're all different and that, and it's okay. Um, so yeah, that was like the beginning of me just being me. Yeah. Yeah. The- it's, it's so cr- crazy to like sit here and look at you. Cause we're obviously still, we're doing zoom so I can see you. And <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, putting myself in a place of being a nine-year-old girl and going through all that. And then, but you know, I, you know, I love my hair, of course. Right. Like we all treasure, but like, I look at you and I just, you're, I don't mean it. <laughs> I'm, I'm super good at being mushy. So I'm just going to go with it, but you are, you're just like stunningly beautiful. And it's just, you know, hearing the story, I can like see the past and all of it. It's almost like, this is this beautiful face and this head that you're just supposed to be. Cause you are, you're just, it's just so beautiful. I just feel like I have to tell you that. <laughs> I feel like um, when people do meet me, they they think that I'm just me from the start, like this bald, like confident woman. And I went through it before, right. before you see who I am today. Like, so on social media, I think it's so important for me to still share because I still have hard days, like yeah. where- because every time I leave my house, there's someone asking me like, if I have cancer or why is it a choice? Is it part of my style? Um, so every day having people ask me about something that's so vulnerable. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not always something that I want to be like, I don't always yeah. want to be sharing. Yeah. But I also, th- I think it's so important that I do share like my hard days that I still have because we all have them. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I'm not just some confident person always. You do a really good job of, of speaking to that. I'm really curious. When did you, I haven't scrolled far enough down to like really see the beginning of everything, but when did you decide to, and maybe you had an Instagram account before you really decided to start opening up more, but when can you like, Tell me how that began. Yeah. Um, so that in 20, in 2014, 
So I was about a year in Chicago, kind of like walking around bald, like just being me. I was still working at Urban Outfitters and a customer came up to me and asked if anyone had ever taken my photo. I was like, nope. Um, I don't feel comfortable in front of a camera. Like before I was losing my hair, I hated my photo taken because I didn't feel beautiful. Yeah. Even like when he was asking, asking me, it's like, I'm still like working through my insecurities. Um, I was like, no, I've never had anyone take my picture. He was like, well, here's my card. I'm a photographer. He's like, I'd really love to take your picture. Like, All right. Kind of, kind of odd, but I'll take your card. Yeah. Um, and I reached out to him. I was like, okay, like, let me make sure you're not going to murder me. <laughs> um, yeah. But he was like a legit photographer and I met him and he was the first one to ever take my picture. And I, I still have them. And I, I'm, I'm in contact with him a little bit. He lives in Chicago, but um, he was first one to ever take my photo. And he, he told me how photography can be a form of self-healing and that I could maybe look into taking self-portraits of myself, of taking pictures of, of my growth and of my alopecia. It's like, maybe that'll help you to see your own beauty. Um, so I did, I bought a camera and I taught myself <laughs> how to take pictures by being my own model. Um, and so I think that's kind of where it started was I was taking my own photos and posting them on social media. Okay. Like sharing with my friends and family, like close friends and family, like then when I first started just sharing like little bits of, um, where I was at in my journey. And then from there, it kind of more photographers were interested in taking my picture. And every time I had something to say, I would post a photo of my bald head and <laughs> go to writing. I love that. Um, and so that's kind of where, where it started, like sharing everything. And once I started to get comfortable taking my own photo, I started to take pictures of other people that I thought the world needed to see more of. And so in Chicago, um, I started taking pictures of, of other people and sharing them on my page. And uh, yeah, it was, it. A, it was a form of healing for me. When you and become really good at it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you are truly. Yeah, I, still take, I still take photos. Um, not only of myself, I do take a lot of uh, <laughs> self-portraits of myself but um yeah I created a, a business for my photography and it's just been so know, such a journey like of where I am I growing up I thought I was the least creative person I played sports <laughs> um and then I decided to go to get a degree in fashion marketing and I didn't know one thing about fashion like I went to a school where I had to wear a uniform every day. I didn't have any, sure. I didn't, yeah. have any <laughs> um, didn't know anything about marketing, but yeah, I went to college, have a, deg a degree in fashion marketing and uh, I don't know what I'm doing, photography, <laughs> like, <laughs> but when I moved to Chicago, it was like this whole world opened up to me. Yeah. Of me being able to just 
be whoever I wanted to be and showed the world who I was without any external, um, anything from my past, like kind of bringing up because I was so far away from my, my family and my friends that I grew up with that no one could really tell me anything. Like I was living in my own world. Yeah. Yeah. My own world for myself. And that's where like just growth happened. That's awesome. I love it. Okay. So when did, if you can like stop me, if you feel like there's anything in between then trying to keep up in my own brain of like where I'm at in my life. (laughs) Like what year is it like? Okay. Yeah. Where are we now? Um, Okay. So I feel like the next chapter kind of is, I mean, so you guys decided to obviously start a family or it happened, right? Like it can go a couple different ways. So we knew that we wanted to have our first baby by the time I turned 26 because I was on my parents' health insurance and I knew I looked up, I was like, Ooh, having a baby, like just having the baby is expensive. Mm. There's no way. I was like, we've been together for, for years. Like we've grown together. Like we're like, by the time we're 26, like let's, let's try then. So when we turned 25, we're like, okay, let's, let's start trying. Um, and I got pregnant once and then it didn't happen the first time. Um, I ended up having something called a blighted ovum. Yeah. Do you know what that mm-hmm. I didn't even know something like that existed. Um, so I had a form of a miscarriage where the baby never grew, but my body still acted like I was pregnant. Yeah. So that was, that was the first thing, which was hard, Yeah. a hard thing. Um, and then a few months later from that, when I got the clear to start trying again, we, uh, um, got pregnant with Abraham and I actually, when um, the day before I took the pregnancy test, I had a dream that I was in my bedroom by myself and there was a little baby boy laying on the bed. What? And it was just me and this little baby. Yep. Um, and then that was like pretty much my whole dream was me and this baby in, in a room, a baby boy. And I remember the next day I was on the phone with my mom and I was like, yeah, I had this weird dream about a baby. And she's like, go take a test. <laughs> Like, what? Yeah. Like, okay, mom. But as soon as I got off the phone with her, I pulled into Target. <laughs> I was like, okay, like, <laughs> let me go take, take this test. And so I bought it. I checked out. I went straight into the bathroom at Target and it was positive. <laughs> no way. Um, yep. And so, and I was only like three weeks. Yeah. Very early. But that dream, I was like, our universe. What yes. I, uh, but, um, Yep. So, and we knew that that same year, because we we're planning on having a baby, that we we're going to move back to Michigan to be closer to our family, um, but not too close. I wasn't going to move back to my hometown. Um, so we decided like Detroit area is where we were going to kind of start. And so we moved back. Um, and I was, went through the whole pregnancy and had a healthy baby boy. And, um, yeah, so once, uh, once I had Abraham, I, I kind of viewed life in like, it's more, it's no longer just about me. I feel like 
like even when I, when he was in my belly, like I started to feel it then like, okay, I have to protect like this little human inside of me. Crazy how quick that comes, isn't it? It's like, I mean, it's like the minute you get that positive test, it's like everything gets flipped. I was like this, like life is so much more important now that I have this little human to look after. So once uh, Abraham was born and one of my last things that I wanted to do, because we had him when I was still 25. And so I was still under my parents' health insurance. And it's like, let me take a round of all my doctors because it's just not, um, I have like a whole circle of doctors that I kind of see, but I'm like, let me go make my rounds before I no longer have health insurance. Yeah. So I saw my OB in Michigan who she like oversaw my pregnancy and then my postpartum. And uh, one of my last appointments she was looking at my chart and she's like, you should, you should look into getting a genetic test done. Like explain, like, what is that? She's like, well, your, your dad's family history of breast cancer. There's a lot of it. I was like, yeah, there is. She's like, well, there's a test to see if you carry a gene to see if you're high risk. I was like, okay. And so I didn't really, I didn't really do much research into it. I just knew that if I had this gene, my cancer percentage was high. So I um, took that test and it was like a week before I turned 26. And so she told me, she was like, we will call you with your results. And so uh, it was maybe like a week after I was already 26. I'm like, okay, I no longer have health insurance. Um, and she called me, she's like, you need to come in. Um, we can't give you your results over the phone anymore. I was like, okay, well, it's probably because it's positive, but they, you know, they can't, they can't give you that information over the phone, which I understand. So I came in and she told me that I had the BRCA1, but yeah, so I went into my OB's office and she let me know that I have the BRCA1 mutation, which means that my percentage for breast cancer um, is up to 80% in my lifetime. And that ovarian cancer is between 40 and 60%. Um, and then pancreatic is also in that gene, but I'm very low risk for it because it doesn't run in my family. Okay. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> So I remember just like tears, like coming out of my eyes without me even like being able to process anything. Like they're just falling out of my face. Um, And so she told me, she's like, here's what we can do now. She's like, there are options of, of what you can do. You can either do nothing Um, You can get six month checks where we, if you end up having cancer, we could at least catch it pretty early. Um, Or you can have preventative surgeries. 
and then your percentages will go down to a normal range. And I was like, I, my brain automatically went back to my alopecia where I spent 10 years of my life of like trying to prevent, um, like prevent myself from looking different or feeling not like myself when what actually happened was when I gave in and cut all my hair off, it was the most freeing thing like I could have done for myself. I was like, I'm going to pick the surgeries. Um, and so right away I knew it's like, I will have these surgeries so that I don't miss out so that I don't miss out on seeing my son like grow up. So I, I think at that point, like it really hit me that me being here, it's not just for me. Like I'm here for my son too. And so making the, the decision, well, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't hard. Yeah. It wasn't hard for me. Um, so she told me, she's like, well, you're still breastfeeding. Abraham then was um, about six months old at that point. And we, we were breastfeeding and it was going, it was going as good as it could at that day. It was yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I really want to make it a year breastfeeding. Um, she's like, okay. She's like, once you're done breastfeeding, once you guys are, are finished, she's like, we'll circle back. Um, and then make some, make some choices. She said, because breast breastfeeding can be a, a form of preventative, like for cancer, like it, which is amazing. I think that that's yes. just so while like every day that I continued to breastfeed, even on those hard days, it just gave me an extra push. Like, okay, I'm like, I can make it like, let's just keep going. Um, and so one year went by and then another year went by cause we were still breastfeeding. Uh, and then right after he turned two, it was kind of getting where my my body, I wanted it back yeah. for myself. We can all relate to that. I think. In yep. Yeah. So it was, it was getting to the point where I'm like, we made it two years. I've been able to process my BRCA um, and what's to come for, for a while now. It was like, let me just see, like no longer offer my body to Abraham and let's see. And so over the the last couple of years, last couple of months of us breastfeeding, he was asking less and less. Yeah. Like, okay, 2021, like by the beginning of the year, I'll, whatever comes first, if he's done breastfeeding or January, 2021. Um, and in January, he was feeding like maybe once a day, a couple days in between. Like, I think he, he's ready. I think he'll, he'll be okay. So I started to make the calls and to go in to see my OB again and get the referral for the surgeon. And from the date of my consultation with my surgeon, who was going to have, who's going to do the, the mastectomy, 
um, to the day of my surgery, it was less than two weeks from me making the calls and me having the surgery. Um, so I, in all through all of this, like through my pregnancy, through motherhood, breastfeeding, my, my BRCA, I was posting it all on the internet. Um, I, it, it was so that, um, I wouldn't feel like I was alone. I wasn't necessarily sharing and I, I still don't share so that people don't feel like they're alone, but it's a part of my own healing. I truly yeah. understand that. I totally get that. I've been able to form this community on my social media where it's filled with nothing but people wanting to support, like not only me, but the other the other people that come on my page and comments, like it's very rare that I get someone being negative. Um, so yeah, all, all through all of this, I, I'm posting it on the internet, taking photos and, and sharing my, my good days and the bad. Um, so leading up to the surgery, I was explaining to my two-year-old, uh, I'm going to cry. It's okay. I would too. I probably will. Yeah. Explaining to my two-year-old that, uh, that I'm not taking anything away from him by no longer being able to breastfeed him, that I'm just trying to make sure that I'm able to continue to be here. Um, even if that means that my body changes, that because I, I've made it through my alopecia and my appearance changing, and I still felt beautiful after the big change. So I knew after my surgery, it's like, I can do it again. It's like, so um, I took a lot of photos and videos of like the last times that I was able to feed Abraham and for us to bond in that way. And then I had my surgery. So I was able to feed him the night before. And that next morning, I, uh, yep, I had, I had my mastectomy. I know that two-year-olds, it's like, I remember there being so many instances feeling like trying to explain things to Miles and then walking away or thinking like, he's not going to understand anything I'm saying. But at the same time, even if they don't understand every word that's coming out of our mouth, there's so much that they really do comprehend and understand. I think a lot of it has to do with, they know us so well, we know each other so well, and they feel our emotions and our hearts and just the way the, the changes and, and how we're speaking to them. So they may not completely understand mommy is not going to have boobs tomorrow, but they understand that something is going to change and it's going to change maybe what the day looks like or, you know, something in between mommy and, you know, and baby. And it's, I can't, I am, um, I just can't, I can't imagine, but I just think that that's, a. I know that had to be an incredibly hard conversation, but man, children. And then I think back to these posts that you had posted afterwards about him wanting to nurse that one night and mm -hmm. how that went. Oh yeah. The first time he asked for milk. 
because that was one of my like it's like I don't know how I'm how I'm going to make it through that like the first time he asked for milk and I have nothing to give him um but it happened about a few less than a week ago so I'm I'm a little over a month from having my surgery now and he tugged on my shirt and he asked for milk and I just lifted up my shirt and he was like boo-boos and then he touched my scar and he was like oh soft <sighs> like like to be to be gentle and like yeah me and then he rolled over and got his cup of milk <laughs> <laughs> and that was it there was no tears um yeah. no like heartbreak from him they're so beautiful they're just so like the reaction of that is just so beautiful he'll just touch me and like grab my face and he'll just be like oh mama I'm like oh my god he is just the kindest like heart I yeah I'm pretty sure he he's making it through this way I should have given him more credit (laughs) like it's like wow I don't like this is a lot for me as a as a grown up to go through. Yeah. It's like I can't even imagine a two year old. They're so resilient and they're so I uh, think especially the people they love, they're so understanding and there's you know, like they they do often handle things, I think, especially huge changes like that. I think they handle it way better than sometimes we get ourselves worked up to think it might go, you know? Yeah, like I was preparing myself for this giant like meltdown and yeah. all the emotions and yeah it hasn't happened it's amazing okay so and maybe this is something that you thought a little bit about prior to giving birth to Abraham I don't I don't know but you know because of how you have really been able to like well, and the work that you've had to do to really kind of just find yourself and really have this deeper appreciation for what I think inner beauty and, and, and honestly self-love is how has this changed how you perceive motherhood and, and how you teach that to Abraham and how we can, as mothers listening, like, you know, how we're speaking to them, things that we don't speak in front of them. Like, what's your perspective on all that? I, for myself, I don't hide anything from my son. Once I had my surgery, I knew that I was going to walk around without a shirt on. And at one point he came into the bathroom when my husband was helping me shower, like while I had my drains. And he kind of just looked at me and smiled and then left the bathroom. Like, I was like, because there's nothing, there's nothing that we need to feel ashamed about. Like we're, we're humans. And I feel like the way that we the way that we're able to work through our emotions, I think it's important to share that with, with our babies, like so that they're able to know that having feelings that as, as moms, that we also go through that same thing and that letting them be who they are and have the feelings that they do, that it's normal. And so for me, I just work through every day the best way that I can. And Abraham's there to witness it. And sometimes it's messy and uh, I make mistakes, but that's just trying our best. Yeah. 
So you think that's all the more true? I mean, I think it's true for any child, especially growing up. Well, for sure, when, you know, your your generation and my generation, we were growing up, it was just as important. But like even now with just, I can't, I can't, I think about, <laughs> I think this is like what haunts me most as a parent is I think about what it's going to be like for our children growing up, just in the age that they're going to be living in. But so for, for females and for males, of course, but I also feel like, especially mothers of boys, like really driving home that emotions are okay. And that it's incredibly important to feel them and not to feel like it's um, something that we should be ashamed or scared to, to like admit to, you know, because then I think there's this underlying all these just, just injuries and pain that eventually just never get exposed and worked through. And I can't imagine living, you know, living with all of that and not being able to, to, I I suppose, kind of find your truth in it all. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that it doesn't matter what your gender is. There's no rules of what emotions you're allowed to have and, and to show that it makes no sense to me. And so I know for, for my son that whatever feelings he's having, like there's, there's no shame in any of them. Um, I hope that brings a, a little bit more empathy yeah. into his world. Yeah. Because I know sometimes we lack that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we just don't understand. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the conversation we had last week about and when you mentioned it earlier about how like you know when you go out in public or every single day that you're kind of posed with the um, inquisitive humans of you know like wanting to know the past and behind all of this as they're after becoming a mother like if Abraham's with you do you find yourself like responding to these people or like having different conversations as a mother now has any of that changed versus like before Abraham came along I think I'm now trying to educate way more than what I did before, because sometimes I would just like leave it, leave the conversation wherever that other person was leaving it at and would let them leave without them knowing my truth. Um, But now that Abraham's, he's watching and he's picking it up on how I'm dealing with confrontation I'm being more careful about not making sure that other people feel comfortable yeah around me because that's it's not our job yeah like to to avoid hard conversations just so other people feel yeah comfortable yeah and so it's hard um to have those those conversations and to correct uh strangers that I didn't ask to have a conversation with, but they brought it to me. Um, but it's important. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. I think that shares, it teaches him so many things. It teaches him so much about just the importance of, I think, being able to share our experiences with other people so that A, maybe they don't ask a silly question or like, you know, like it puts somebody in that kind of spot in the future. Cause I don't think most people do that, of course, with any kind of intention of hurting somebody, right. but they, they have no idea. And you don't know until you know, or until someone like you like has a kind 
conversation of, you know, have asked me like while I was 15, 16, losing my hair and they asked why I had a bald spot, I would have had a breakdown and wouldn't have left my house for weeks. So you just, you don't know where someone's at in their, in their life or what kind of day they had. Sometimes people ask me and I'm like, I'm about to cry. So <laughs> yeah, I wish you wouldn't have asked me about my bald head. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've had a harder day than what uh, my appearance looks like. Like I sure. just had yeah. cut off. So like, I'm just super used to all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I actually don't know. I, I need to Google this and find out if this is already a coined term, but something that I starting, like after starting this podcast, I think actually after sharing my very first post after kind of a really rough, really rough couple of years, it was like meaningful vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It has an incredible impact, not only on the other person listening, but it has such an incredible impact on ourselves because it allows us, I think too, like every time I get real with somebody and tell my story, like I learn a little bit more about myself. And it also is a reminder to me about like how incredibly strong and not for have gone going through it all, but like being able to sit here and talk to you and have this conversation that took so much growth and so much time and so much patience. And, and then for Abraham to witness it, I mean, he's going to understand all this. I just think this kid, like when, when I talk about like my alopecia, what I went through from when I was nine until I cut all my hair off, like it doesn't even feel like me. Like I want to cry for that little girl and that teenager because uh, like that's a lot um and honestly I didn't think I would make it to have a family or to have a career or a job like when I was losing my hair I'm like once I lose all of my hair once all of it falls out like that's it like that's the end of my life and so as a teenager I was like preparing for that so to be sitting here like every time I'm able to tell my story, like, like this wasn't, this wasn't a part of what I thought my life was going to look like. I thought my life would be very short. I'm so thankful that you're here. And I'm so thankful that you decided to chop all that hair off that one day with Drew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're a pretty amazing human. <laughs> I mean it. Um, I mean it. <clears throat> I know the other part of kind of our mission um, of today was, you know, going through all of this kinds of struggle. Um, you know, it's really important, especially as a mother, to ensure that not only is Abraham seeing like the emotions and the hard days and the good days and kind of the vulnerability of it all and the emotions, but it's important for him to see how you care for yourself in ways whether that's self-care, whether that's self-love, and maybe some people put group those together, but, you know, so I know that that's really important. You speak a lot about that kind of underlying in a lot of your, in your content on Instagram. So what are you, I mean, what are your key things? Like, what do you feel like is most important for yourself for self-care and, and for the things that Abraham gets, gets to witness? That, uh, for a long time, I never asked for help or let people know that I was struggling that it always goes back to my alopecia. Like I thought I could, I could do it all on my own and uh, I couldn't. And it took, it took a couple times like to remind myself that I have a support system 
that I'm able to ask for help when I need it before I break. And uh, I think now that when I need time by myself, that I speak up, that I ask my mom, can you take him for the weekend so that I'm able to do whatever I want to do? And I don't have to worry about taking care of a human being because I need to take care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, my husband, like, I can't, I can't do this or these chores or go do this. Can you, can you do it? Because right now I'd just rather do nothing. And so reaching out and letting people know that I'm struggling a little bit and that I need someone to help me. I think we don't have to be strong all the time. Like that doesn't make us the best mom. Yeah. My sister said something to me the other day in one of our podcasts. She was saying how and this was this was in motherhood and actually one of like the breastfeeding chats we were having. It was like, you know, I think that our culture, especially in the United States, we really pride ourselves on being really capable and independent and not asking for help. And we are like professionals at that. But it's so being able to ask for help when you need it, it shows so much more strength actually than than not. And I think for us to kind of flip that around, the other thing she pointed out was, and I think this is so important for us moms to remember is that people who are there in your support system, they really want to be able to be that person for you. And so let them, cause it makes them feel incredibly good and it gives you what you need. And, you but know, needing help does not make you weak. Right. I think it's the complete opposite. And I'm just so happy that this is what, this is what your response was to that question and again, going back to the, the Abraham, the children seeing us, I mean, how, what, an, what, what more of an incredibly valuable lesson in life to learn that it's okay. <laughs> it's so, you know what I mean? Like I'm here, your dad's here, your family's here, your friends are here. The people that love and support you are here for a reason. We are a village. We, we work together and you know, when you need a hand or you need a heart, it's okay to ask. I, Marissa, I love that. I, it's so true. It's so true. And it's probably things that we don't think about a whole lot. You know what I mean? Because we're so focused on like the internal things that we need and how that is like perceived by our children. Even if that's not something that they're, you're thinking that they're actually thinking through, right? Two-year-olds aren't thinking like they're not, they're not getting it right now, but they grow up and understand and see their parents doing this. It's going to be an innate part of their being. Yep. So, and even when, because two-year-olds are still going through their emotions. Yeah. So, you know, like I'm here like to help you because I know that I have people here to help me when I also need it. And if you need alone time, that that's what you need. Yeah. Or if you need a hug, like I'm also here for that too. So yeah, becoming a mom, I think I'm also teaching and learning myself as a, an adult right along with my toddler. Yeah. Okay. So to round, kind of round things out, I could talk to you forever, but what do you (laughs) want? I could, what do you want moms who, and I realize I don't know how rare alopecia is, but it seems like it's a somewhat rare thing. And especially a life where you have alopecia and then also have a double mastectomy. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'm, well, alopecia, it's it's actually 
there's like millions of people in the US that have it, which there it's it's not it's not a rare thing. It's okay. now becoming like with social media and okay. people knowing that they don't have to hide like who they are. If they don't want to have any hair, you can Makes go outside with no hair. Like there's a whole world of us. Um yeah, I think now people are starting to show like their alopecia more than what it used to be because beauty standards are yeah. just got to keep breaking them down so everyone can have a place yep to to feel like they're they're beautiful um cool so, that's awesome yeah. all right well that's good to know thanks for correcting me on that and, and educating us a little bit <laughs> well so regardless i mean so, you know women who have gone through similar experiences are not just struggles with their own I suppose kind of identity and and finding their like kind of I suppose true beauty or any mom struggling through. I mean, really, I think we can all relate to bits and pieces of this. But what is your what is your message to the mom who is just struggling on that day to day? I think that, and it's something that I remind myself too that we aren't here to fix ourselves. Like we're here just to be. Um, and because I spent years trying to fix that, I feel like I lost out on so much time. Um, and so now I hope that when people hear my story or hear that I struggled for a long time and that I won't let that happen again, that they free themselves from some of the things that they're trying to fix because there's nothing wrong with us. So I think I think that's always what I'm telling myself. Like that who I am is I'm good. Like I'm good just just how I am today. I love it. Mm-hmm. What about the message to somebody who doesn't know this life and doesn't know the hardship of it and maybe even maybe even these inquisitive people that want to approach you in public, what is, what would you, what would you tell them? I think to, it's okay to take time to think of your words before they come out of your mouth. Because you don't know where someone's at in life. Like, yet I can where because of what I've gone through, I can speak about where I'm at, about my alopecia, or I'm still going through my, my mastectomy, like the changes of my body, but I am open, but not everyone is. And so to know that there's boundaries, just because we're out in the world living all together doesn't mean that we're all welcomed into each other's space. Yeah. So I think just always, always thinking before you're talking, just what you tell your, your daughter. Yeah. (laughs) Like it doesn't change as an adult. Like we're still, we're still all just humans. Yeah. Um, I love it. That's so, that's, that's a really sweet, simple (laughs) lesson. I mean, truth. Oh, Marissa, I have enjoyed this so much. And I, for everybody listening, go check out her, her account, Instagram, 
A, you just have to see her and see her photos and get more, just be able to live the story. I promise it'll be, I look forward to getting on Instagram pretty much every single day to be able to, to be able to see it. So I look forward. I'm true. It's, it's true. And I don't feel that about, all, I mean, I of course you follow a lot of accounts, but there are certain people that it's like, those are the ones like, I, I just want to read it and I want to see it. And I want to see that beautiful smiling face of yours. And I really want to see Abraham and that beautiful walk of hair. Anyway, go check them out. But I, again, really, really honored. I love getting to know you. And I hope that, that we'll have an opportunity to kind of talk more even, even outside of this. Yes, no, definitely. Thank you for, for having me and for having this space so that other people are able to also share. So I know that it's healing for me. So I'm sure you're doing some really beautiful things for the world. Thank you. It feels it feels like such a dream some days to be able to have these conversations. So thank you very much. All right. Well, go enjoy time with your family and all of the adulting things that you have to get done. (laughs) (laughs) And we will chat soon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. mamas before you peace out. If what you just heard inspired you, made you feel like you've got a new BFF, or simply reminded you of another mama, please share this episode or the podcast and be sure to tag me if you share it on social. My hope is to touch as many of you as possible and drive this mama-led movement. If you're with me, and I know that you are, please take a minute and leave a review. Hearing from you makes my heart so happy and your review could encourage another mama in need to hop on this journey with us. So let's make a pact. I'll bring the fire and in return, you help me strengthen our mama collective so we may together make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. Let's get it, mama.